my family grew up, well, spent three years in a little town called Port Royal, which is known famously to exist in the Annapolis Valley. How many have ever been to the Annapolis Valley? I thought I would see a hand down there. The Annapolis Valley to Nova Scotia is the Okanagan to British Columbia. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of Canada's wonderful maritimes. Annapolis Valley is known for its fruit bearing. In the community we lived in, which was a rural community, we had a number of apple trees in our yard. And my dad uh, decided to uh, try grafting different types of apples into the trees to create different types of hybrid apples. Many fruits are done that way. Now to be quite honest and transparent that I don't remember a lot. I kind of remember seeing these goofy-looking trees with bandages on them and stuff like that. And I don't even remember if Dad was very successful. But I think that you would agree with me, logically, that if a person took the limb of a type of apple tree and grafted it into another type of tree, wrapped it, cared for it, did all the right things. There is one overwhelming reality that anybody would have to admit. I remember a phrase that my father would use, and he would, it would be in the form of a question, did it take? You can probably understand what that means. Did the graft work? Was there a flow from the main tree to the branch? And anyone would, with any kind of insight, would know that the answer to the question, did it take, would totally be dependent on the fact, was there fruit? It's not rocket science. It's a reality. If what was grafted into the main tree worked, the evidence would be the life and the fruit that existed in the branch. Would you pray with me? I often hear Pastor Alistair beg quote this chorus I would invite you to pray with me make the book live to us O Lord show us thyself within thy word show us ourselves and show us our Savior and make the book live to us O oh Lord, my text today is the Gospel of John, chapter 15, 
And we're going to read the first 11 verses. John 15, verses 1 to 11. <clears throat> I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Verses 1 to 11 form a section of thought. In the Greek manuscript, it would be one section of thought. In our better Bibles, like the ESV and the NASB, even the paragraphs give us some help. I've not found that to be always true, but it is pretty true that though as I... I, as you see, if you have an ESV, the first 11 verses form a section of thought. That means we ought to take it as a section of thought. It's also not very difficult in studying a passage like this and just knowing basic English to know where the main thought is. There are only two imperatives in this passage. There's only two imperatives. Verses 8, or verses 4, and verses 9. Abide in me. Abide in my love. That's a command. And therefore, in studying this, and teaching this, and reading and applying it to yourself, then the reader of the Bible would say, well, the main thought here that I have to leave, leave with 
has to do with this command to abide. Abide. That word in the Greek language is irrelevant to you and I. It's pronounced mino, but the meaning is very relevant. The word abide means to stay, to remain, to live, to make it your home. Brothers and sisters, when you and I were saved, we were placed in a home. The command says, stay home. I'm going to emphasize that because that's a, something I've learned has not been well emphasized by the Christian church. In other words, when you were saved, you were brought into a union with Christ that became your new home, your new dwelling. And the emphasis that Jesus Christ is making here to the disciples and through his Holy Spirit and word to us today is stay home. If I wanted to be cute, I could entitle this sermon Jesus Stay Home Order. I'm hoping that I didn't do that, by the way, because I'm hoping that in 10 years that phrase will be irrelevant to society. But for you and I this morning, and you and I listening online, the essence, the main point of this, this, uh, these first 11 verses is, 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 is Jesus saying, stay home. You're saved into a home, just stay there. Remain there. Dwell there. Live there. Why? Answer, so that our lives will be fruitful. That's the purpose. Jesus doesn't define what the fruit is here. I've heard a number of people say, well, the fruit is this or that. He doesn't. It's a general statement that if your life, if you want your life to bear spiritual productivity whether it be in witnessing, ministry, uh, relationships, growth, maturity. Stay home. I'm going to teach this under three main points. And I'm honestly doing it because that's the way I structured the passage, not because I'm Baptist. But first of all, we're going to talk about God's response to unfruitfulness and fruitfulness. How does God respond to fruitfulness and unfruitfulness? Then we're going to secondly look at the source of fruitfulness. And thirdly, the results of fruitfulness. Why should you listen? I always think this way, by, by the way. What a privilege it is for a man like myself to be able to open the Word of God to you. Why should you listen? If you're listening online, why did you click on our link? Why, did, why are you sitting 
anticipating? Well, the answer is given at the end of the, of the Greek phrase. Verse 11. That your joy, the joy that Christ gives might be in you and be full. So if you're just thinking this morning, well, this is a good time to zone out. Uh, this is a good time to be flipping on my phone, checking my messages. This is a good time to be planning what we're going to have for supper. The reason you should listen has nothing to do with me. It has all to do with you. That your joy would be full. That God's joy in you would be without measure. To me, I find that fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. These things I have spoken to that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be full. The God who spoke the world into being, the creator of heaven and earth, the God who is like none other, whose perfections speak beyond a word or an idea that you and I can even conceive of. We don't know how perfect perfect is. This God says, my joy, his, the, the perfect joy of God can be in us and it could overflow through us. So brothers and sisters, you decide whether you think this is important. your joy might be full. Okay, I said the first thing I'm going to talk about is God's response to unfruitfulness and fruitfulness. I get that in verses 1 to 3. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruit. Just before I talk about that, just one little sidebar. There are some important themes in here that if we were doing a Bible class or this was a, a school lecture, that we would not avoid. They're so important, but I've decided to state what the main point is and stay there. But just, just so you know that I haven't missed it, I want you to notice, first of all, that this is another saying of John where he is explaining to the reader the deity of Christ. This is another one of Jesus' sayings where he says, I am. I'm the door, he said. I'm the good shepherd. He uses the phrase that is given only to God. I am Jehovah. I am the true vine. So I just want you to know that, that that's there. This is a self-disclosure of Christ's deity. Secondly, he notice the, that he's the true vine. That would mean that there are other vines. That would imply that there are some vines that are not quite true. And this is clearly 
one of the other themes that runs through the Gospel of John. Because you see, brothers and sisters, all through the Old Testament, and we're not going to go there, but you could study this on your own. All through the Old Testament, Israel, the nation of Israel, was the vine. And Jesus is setting himself in contrast to the nation of Israel and saying, I'm the true vine. And this is a sub-theme all through Gospel of John. It starts in chapter 1, verse 12. I came to my own, my own received me not. And here's another emphasis that Jesus is the true vine, emphasizing the unfaithfulness of Israel. In fact, all the Gospel writers point this out. Notice, if you will, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 21. Matthew 21, verse 43. Matthew 21, verse 43. And Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you speaking to the Jewish leaders, speaking about Israel, and given to a people, what? Producing its fruits. Now you might say to me, Pastor Jim, I really don't understand that. Well, I'll tell you something. The Pharisees and scribes, they understood it. They sought to arrest Jesus. Because Jesus was saying, I have come to replace Israel. I'm the true vine. That's another sub-theme that would take us hours to unpack. But it's not the main theme. The main theme is abide. Abide. We see here that when a branch does not bear fruit, Remember the illustration that I gave of my daddy in Nova Scotia. When the, when the branch does not bear fruit, when the branch is dead, God, the vine dresser, or the husband maybe in your Bible, takes it away. And in verse 6, he says he burns it. It's good for nothing. No good for building anything. Not even good for heat. He takes it away. When the fruit inspector, the divine and fruit, fruit inspector, looks at the, the, at the tree and sees a branch that's dead, it's brittle, there's no fruit, he breaks it off, throws it into the fire, it's burned. But when a branch is bearing fruit, some of us might be surprised to say, or to hear, he prunes it that it might make more fruit. But those of you in the agricultural business understand that. You, or those of you who have fruit trees or, or, or you grow things in your yard, you understand that. You understand all the various types of plants that you look at them, even an ordinary flower, where certain things are removed to allow the, the overall growth of the plant to produce more fruit. So we see that God does two things in the life 
of an individual. Number one, he's looking for fruit. If he sees no fruit, it's cut off and set aside and burned. If he sees fruit, he doesn't applaud it and say, good job. He painfully brings out his pruning shears so that there might be more fruit. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now when I read that, I said to myself, self, there you did it again, Jesus. You're mixing metaphors. My grade 9 teacher said don't mix metaphors. But you do it all the time. And you do it for a purpose. He says to the disciples, my father discards what bear, doesn't bear fruit. He prunes what is fruit-bearing. And then he speaks to the disciples and says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. What's he doing here? Why is he mixing the metaphors? And the answer is he's taking us back to John 13. Now, if you can remember in your mind uh, the preaching that went on through John 13, remember the, the foot washing, the command to wash one another's feet? We learned a couple things in John 13. You may want to turn a page or two to go back there. In verse 8, we learned when Jesus spoke to Peter, when Peter said, you won't wash my feet, Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. In other words, if you've not been born of the Spirit and cleansed by the Holy Spirit, if you've not been washed, if you've not been cleansed and forgiven of your sin, you will not be part of me. But notice what Jesus says to these disciples, you are clean. In other words, when he presents the work of the Father as discarding unfruitful, pruning fruitful, he's reminding them, he's encouraging them they are part of the clean group. In other words, and to go back to the vine metaphor, he's saying, you are a branch that's bearing fruit. That's what he's saying to them. You remember in John 13, secondly, that we learned that even though we're clean, our feet get dirty, and we need to wash our feet. We need to, and I taught back then that what Jesus was teaching was that we are to apply the Word of God to our daily lives. Why? So that we are cleansed, so that we keep clean, so that we are corrected, so that we, our life is adjusted, so that the Word of God can wash over our lives and keep us clean. And so you understand what Jesus is doing with the disciples. He's going to teach some very hard things. The father discards unfruitful, he prunes fruitful, but in a sense he's saying to these disciples, you are clean, you're the fruitful group, <laughs> so guess what? You're going to get pruned 
the word of God is going to correct you. It's going to discipline you. You're going to get pruned. In other words, he's identifying with his listening audience because they're sitting there probably going, oh man, am I the unfruitful or the fruitful? Where do I fit in this story? And you might be thinking that this morning. And if you're in Christ, or to use the words of John 13, if you've come to share in Christ, you're the fruitful. You're the clean. But you're going to get pruned. You're going to be corrected. You see, God is the proverbial fruit inspector. He's the one that knows what is false. He knows those who claim to be in the vine. If you ask them, are you in the vine? They will say yes. But it's God who looks at the, vine, the branch and says, no, I don't see any fruit. I just see deadness. It's also God that says, you're in the vine and I see fruit, but guess what? I want more. I want more fruit. And therefore, I'm going to adjust some things in your life that according to Hebrews 12 are going to be painful for the moment. But it's going to prove that you're a legitimate son of mine and I love you and I'm going to prune you. I'm going to correct you. Just a sidebar, take a breath. Just detract from my notes for a second. I, I, I have an inner revulsion to people who are Christians who say, God convicted me. You're going to see in a couple weeks, I know you've said that, I've said that. Don't blame yourself. In a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit convicts the world, He doesn't convict Christians. Christians get to be corrected, not convicted. Christians, according to Hebrews 12, get to be chastened, never condemned. I say that so that you understand that when God prunes you and me, it's not because he's judging and condemning us. If you are in Christ, you, there is there for no condemnation. So be careful how you use the word convicted. I know that what we mean, we mean that. But just to keep the language of the Bible clear, it is the world that gets convicted, held before God in judgment. You're a Christian. Your judgment has already taken place. You have passed from death to life. And God loves you and I so much, he's willing to correct us because he took our conviction. Does that make sense? What's the source of fruitfulness? Why do we need to abide to be fruitful? Well, Jesus says in verses 4 to 6, 
He says, without me, you can do nothing in verse 5. Pause and think about that, beloved. Apart from being grafted in and connected in a life-giving way to the vine, you and I can do nothing of any spiritual value. Nothing. It's a hopeless ambition for a person to say, I want to serve God, I want to have a productive, fruitful life on this planet and not be connected to the vine. The source of our fruitfulness is none other than a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've happened to join us online and you're not a Christian, I would well imagine that there's a part of you that wants to do good in this world. There's a part of you that wants to serve well. There's a part of you that wants to uh, looks for the betterment of society and a betterment of community. And I say this kindly and not to be harsh, but to be true to the text. You can do nothing without Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing. In fact, Jesus goes on to say further in verse 8 that fruitfulness is the proof that you're a Christian. The evidence that you're a Christian is fruitfulness. Let me take you back to Annapolis Valley and just say, you know what? It's not rocket science. If you, if you want to know whether it took or not, you check out the fruit. So the proof that you and I are in fact vitally connected to Jesus Christ is going to be the fact that our lives are spiritually fruitful. And this is not something we add to our lives. Back in the old days, I can say that, some of you can say that, there was a realm of thinking within Pentecostalism and even through an English movement called the Keswick Movement and it even crept into Dallas Seminary in recent days that looked at the Christian life as a, a two-stage kind of life. You first of all trusted Jesus as your Savior and then maybe down the road you could trust Him as your Lord. And the Bible denies that. The Bible denies that. It was when people apparently trusted him as Lord, they became fruitful, they would say. But the Bible teaches that the moment you're united with Christ, you become fruitful. The Bible teaches you can't believe in Jesus as Savior and not trust him as Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Christ and the Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's not something we add to our present circumstance. In other words, if, 
if you came to me and said, Pastor Jim, I really, really, really want to be more fruitful, what other kind of experience must I have? The only thing I could say from this text is stay home. Just go back home. I could say, in summary of this text, you're in Christ, stay there. That's all you have to do. That's the way the New Testament authors spoke to Christians. Paul said in Colossians, to the Colossians, in verse two, or chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ, so walk with him. There's nothing to be added to your Christian life. Just stay where you were when he brought you into union with Christ. In Ephesians, Paul said to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 8, One time you were, you were in darkness, now you're in light. Walk as children of light. This is the message of the New Testament authors. You were saved in Christ, stay there. Nothing more you have to do. Just stay where God puts you in relationship to his son. You ought to be asking the question, then how do I abide? It's a command. I'm part of this. I have to respond to this today. How do I abide? Well, in chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus already answered that question. He said, to, to this, these disciples, if you abide in my word, then you will know that you are my disciples. Christian, this isn't difficult. It's difficult to do, but it's not difficult to understand. All through the Bible, the way you stay connected to God is through his word. The way you are fruitful is by through his word. God said to Joshua in Joshua 1.8, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Fruitfulness, remaining in the vine, abiding, all has to do with the word. The most familiar psalm, or one of the familiar psalms to all of you, do not walk. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, or stand in the way of sinners, or, seat, or sit in the way of the scorners, but his delight is in the law of God, and on it he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water, which will bear its fruit in due season, and everything he does will prosper. Staying in the vine, remaining in the vine, being fruitful is absolutely dependent upon how you handle the word of truth. It's always been that way. You want me to be down to earth? To stay in the vine, to abide in the vine, to remain in the vine, to be fruitful, 
you need to read your Bible. Somebody's saying, and we pay that guy that much money just to say stuff like this? You need to read your Bible. You need to meditate on your Bible. You need to memorize your Bible. You need to study. This is where you don't read other people. You study your Bible. And most important of all, you need to obey your Bible. We can all understand that, can't we? You're in high school, you're in elementary school, you've just understood what Pastor Jim said. You just, you nailed it. To abide, to be fruitful, the Bible. What's the results? There's three results, verses 7 to 10. Number one, the first result in verse 7 is an effective prayer life. An effective prayer life. Ask whatever you want. What's the assumption that Jesus is making? Well, if Jesus is in you and you're in Jesus, if the Word of God is in you and the Word of God is, and you are in the Word of God, you won't ask for things that are apart from his will. This isn't a blank check for a new home or a new truck. This is saying that the person who is, remains in the vine develops such an intimacy, such an intimacy with, with Christ that even their prayers are just resonating what Jesus is already saying and doing in their lives. They wouldn't think of asking something out of God's will. They wouldn't think of asking for selfish, self-centered things. So to remain in the vine and to remain fruitful is, provides an effective prayer life. How many times have you heard it? when couples have had a pretty good marriage and they get older. One knows what the other one's thinking. I think of a couple, I won't mention their names, they would be known to you, a dear couple who were part of our church, are part of our church or were part of our church, grew up together and older. And I was always amazed as a young pastor how... The wife could speak for the husband, and the husband could speak for the wife. Uh, don't you have to check? I'm, newly, I'm a newlywed. I'm supposed to go home and ask my wife. No, I don't have to check. I know what she's going to say. You multiply that a billion times billion. That's, that's, that's what a relationship with Jesus is, and that's why you can ask whatever you want. Because whatever you want is what Jesus wants. The second result of this fruitful life is that apparently God is magnified. When a person lives out a Christ-abiding fruitful life, 
My Father, Jesus says, is glorified. Now just think of the mechanics here. You, you say in your mind, I want to I glorify God and all I do. And the Word of God must be in you. And you must be in the Word of God. Thirdly, another result. Verses 9 and 10. And this is amazing to me. Jesus says, the same love that the Father has for me will be in you. <laughs> I dare Stephen comment. I'm too, I'm too, I have too much sin in my life to even comment on the magnitude of that statement. The very love that the Father has for the Son, His love will be in you. I'm floored. You want to experience God's love? You want to abide in God's love? Then stay home. Stay home. Stay in the vine. I could take that, this last point and turn it on its head and say, do you want your prayers to be answered? If, you're, if you have notes, just put a check mark. Anybody here not want your prayers to be answered? Do you want to glorify God in all your life? Do you want to experience the divine love that the God, God the Father has for God the Son to be yours? Does anyone not want that? Read, meditate, memorize, study, obey. So, beloved, abiding then, in summary, isn't something you add to your salvation. You were saved to abide. And the command is stay there. Stay there. And how we do it just boils down to this book. I know that's hard to do, but the idea is not hard to understand, is it? As I conclude, I examine my own heart and, and perhaps you can too. I often think that the person that wrote that hymn that has this words knew me because he wrote prone to wander. Lord, I fear it. Prone to leave the one I love. Don't you find as the day goes on, like I do, that there's so many things that take your heart's affections and your mind's attention and take them to ways and things. And in the language of John 15, you want to leave the vine. And the appeal of the Holy Spirit to us this morning is, come home. Just come home. There's good news in this passage. I hope you don't mind if I leave on a note of good news. 
Would you look at your Bibles again and look at the first verses? Here's the good news. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. Or every branch that does bear fruit, boy, I make a mistake there. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Beloved, I find that good news. I find it good news that God loves me so much that when I start to wander from home, He is committed to discipline me and bring me back. He is committed to do that. I find it good news that God is in the business of causing you and I to bear fruit. He has made it His job. He has made it His responsibility to discipline us for our own good so that we might, using the words of Hebrews, share in His holiness. If you're in Christ this morning, God loves you enough to discipline you. That means He's not going to leave me alone. He's not going to just let me wander. He's just not going to let me just fall away. God is committed to discipline me and keeping me bearing fruit in the vine. God the Father prunes us so that His joy will be in us and our joy will be full. If you're here this morning or listening online and you know in your heart that you've been wandering from home, the good news is God the Father is going to chase you. And it may be painful for a while. You may have to endure hardship. But his purpose is to love you as his son and chasten you and bring you back home. You will be reproved. You will be chastised. You will feel pain. It won't be pleasant. You will have to endure. But God is going to win. God is bigger than you. He will correct you to bring you home. Now you say, we could just yield today, couldn't we? There's no reason we have to go through that. We could just submit today. We could just take seriously the discipline of the Lord today. We could just today decide, I need to come home. But if you don't, you will meet the vine dresser. And in love, he will prune you. And he will win. He will win. So today, beloved, it all boils down to this. 
What are you doing with this book? It really does. It doesn't get any more profound than that. Are you reading? Is this book your meditation? Are you hiding God's word in your heart through memorization? Are you studying? Are you obeying? May Christ, in his mercy, enable all of us to do that. Would you agree? For our close, can I just remind you of an email that Pastor Josh sent out this week, particularly to the parents of young children? He didn't know what I was going to preach on. I didn't know the content of his email. But what he's doing is giving you another resource where the Word of God can have priority in your home. One of the resources that he quotes, the New Catechism for Families, it's for children, and there's one for adults. The adult one is amazing. The children one is amazing. Would, would you not ignore that, please? Would you not ignore that email? If you're a family that's not conducting family worship, would you please take it seriously? And will you find that in this COVID day, when we're home more together, that the Word of God would have priority and preeminence in our activities? encourage you to pay attention to that. Thank you for allowing me to preach this morning. And I invite you to stand as you receive God's benediction on your dismissal. Heavenly Father, we receive the blessing this morning upon those who are listening or here in person, those who do not walk getting their counsel and advice from the ungodly, those who not stand in the way of people who scorn you, those who do not sit with those who show contempt for you. But we receive your blessing upon those of us who delight in the law of the Lord. And we make it our meditation day and night. And we thank you, Father, that your promise is that we will be like trees planted by rivers of water that will bear fruit in due season. And that all we do, all we do, be prosperous spiritually. And receive that in the precious name of Jesus and for his sake. And God's people said, Amen.